I don't, there's a earring on the pulpit. That's not, that's your Stucky? Um, yeah, that's, so if you lost an earring on the pulpit somehow, it's still here. Um, pastoral prayer, right? Uh, it's a time when we go to the Lord and uh, pray for our congregation and pray for uh, the world we live in. Let's, uh, let's do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this life. Thank you for this gathering of your people who come to worship you. Thank you for opening our eyes and setting us free from sin so that we desire to worship you. And thank you for being worthy of worship. You are both holy and merciful. Thank you for your love for us and teaching us to have love for one another. Thank you for your holy word and we ask that you would give us understanding this cold February morning. Father, thank you for the sanctification we experience, even if it's slow. And thank you for the grace you give when we fail and repent. Teach us to love holiness and to see that sin is not just an offense against fellow man, woman, or child, but ultimately an offense against you, Lord, you who are holy. Lord, please continue to protect Rich and Eric. Please return them home safely. Continue to give their families daily bread so that they may endure life apart for the time being. Father, this morning, comfort those women who are now pregnant and those who are seeking to become so. Make the marriages in our covenant families strong and filled with love and respect that models well how you relate to your church. In this, area, or in this era of isolation and great division, please give us unity in Christ. Thank you for the students who call Manhattan Pres their church home. Give them interest in their studies this semester, even though it's through Zoom and various other things at times. Uh, give them interest so that they might find it a joy to learn about the world that you have created and how things work. Give them wisdom and relationships and give them joy in this season of life. Teach them to serve others, to speak freely of the gospel, and to hold fast to that very gospel themselves. Lord, give us all wisdom and time management so that we have time to see beyond ourselves to give to our neighbors, to give to our, the community that we live in, uh, the community which we hope to see your glorious gospel set free, uh, to set free all those who are in bondage to sin, all those who are hoping in false things. Make us to be trustworthy and dependable in our places of work. Teach us to parent in such a way that our children learn that you are the most important and that our love for them is genuine. Father, give us love for each other that grows and is sustained through any conflicts that might arise. Lord, may RUF and crew and other gospel-proclaiming campus groups find joy in the ministry you've called them to. Provide for them in every way, and may the students they disciple learn to love you and to love your church today and in the years to come. God, teach us what it means to trust you, <clears throat> to rest in you, to find our meaning and our purpose in you and to be satisfied in you. Melt away the doubts which settle in the corner of our minds and renew our faith this Lord's Day as we gather as an imperfect family with a perfect and gracious Father who is you, the Lord God Almighty. It's in the name of our Savior and brother, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. We are back in Luke 21, right? We've been going through chapters of Luke fairly slow. So yeah, 21, if you can't remember what chapter we're in, 
Just remember what chapter we were in last week and you'll be there. So head that way to Luke 21. And as you're going to Luke 21 this morning, I want you to consider this. What comes to your mind when you think about the promises of God? Right? What are the promises of God? Do you think of his, his faithfulness? Do you think of salvation? Do you, do you think of uh, him working all things for, for, for good? His presence, his unrelenting love, do you, do you think of those sort of things? And, and hold on to that for, for a moment. Um, see, when I was in uh, college, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, now that Sam's leaving, we can just rip on crew all we want. Uh, not really, I'm kidding. Uh, this was not true, uh, what I'm about to say is not true of Crusade or crew today. It was true back in the uh, time when I was in college, just, you know, eons ago. Uh, but they would famously begin their evangelism on campus by, by coming to students and telling them, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and that was repeated over and over again, uh, and it was something you would hear all around you all the time, at least because there was a, a large faction of Campus Crusade for Christ on our campus. Uh, and, and here's the thing, that was understood by those who heard it to mean something like this. If you place your faith in Jesus, all the struggles of your life are going to get easier. Things are going to get better. Your life will become more comfortable. And, and, and whether that was intended or not, that was the way it was communicated. To, to the, that's how it was received. And the experience for many was, was that they did place their faith in Jesus, only to then lose many of their existing friendships that no longer, no longer worked in, in, in the way that they did before, or it drove a wedge between themselves and their family, and, uh, or it would just all sorts of other crummy things would happen, some of them just in the general providence of God, some of them uh, directly because of this newfound faith in Jesus, whether we're talking socially or academically, uh, these things would happen, and that was devastating. They didn't know what to do with that. It was an unexpected consequence uh, of coming and, and just committing their life to Christ. Now, what these campus evangelists in 2002 failed to mention were the other promises of God, the promises that are a bit less marketable, but nevertheless good promises. And two of those we, we see in our passage today as our, our Lord draws our attention to these two. The one is that you will be persecuted, and the other one is that you will, per you will persevere. Um, but before we read that then, we're going to get there. I, I do want to remind you, just to fit this in context, since we split something up particularly, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Uh, and, and like the mosaic photo illustration I used last week, remember uh, you see a large logo from a distance and then you get close and you can see it's made up of a whole bunch of, of little images of individual students. Uh, there's a, a close and a near idea to this. Uh, like that, Jesus' words here, these prophetic words, have an immediate fulfillment at the time, right, in the first century with those disciples. Uh, and then there's a more general fulfillment for his disciples in every area, including for you and I today. And, and so then our, our passage this morning is, is beginning with these words, but before all this, and so what Jesus is saying in our passage today is, is before all the things mentioned before, and we can go back, we're not going to read, I'll just tell you, uh, before the temple is destroyed, before nations rise up against each other, before there are earthquakes and famines and pestilence, before all of that, this is what's going to occur. And that's where our passage picks up in, in verse 12 today. So uh, if you will, follow along as, as we read, beginning in verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, 
delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, and enlighten our minds to understand this passage before us this morning. Um, that we might know how to honor you through persecution and how to walk with you in perseverance. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Now, it's pretty clear why, why Crew 20 years ago um, didn't lead with this passage, right? Because maybe the best starting place isn't, uh, listen, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and it might include prison, and it might even be your family betraying you. You're going to be hated by everyone. You might even be put to death. Does that interest you? Can I tell you about Jesus now? It's probably not the best entryway into a conversation. And yet at some point early on in our our faith, early on in our walk with the Lord, we, we need to know this, right, these things. And Jesus is very upfront with his disciples here, uh, you know, not so that they can back out. There's no backing out because that's, you know, Christ has given them this faith, but so that they can be prepared to follow Jesus through these persecutions that are going to come. And, and these words, like I said before, are, of our Lord are fulfilled in the first century. In Acts 9, Saul is gathering up Christians and he's throwing them into prison. Uh, later, after God calls Saul to faith, right, his name is changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul, he himself is thrown into prison. In Acts 7, Stephen preaches the gospel, and, and the Jews are so angry that they begin to just pelt him with rocks, right? We, we call it stoning uh, in, in the scriptures, and they throw rocks at him until they kill him, murdering him. In Acts 12, James' brother, the brother of John, is killed simply because he belongs to the church, The persecution, or this persecution of God's beloved bride, the church, began when Jesus ascended, right? And persecution is going to continue until Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. Now, Philip Ryken many years ago, and I mentioned it's many years ago, so you don't think this is just common or or, or recent commentary on the culture, but many years ago he said, uh, it is easy to be afraid of the future, America gives almost every indication that it is a nation in spiritual decline. We are living in a a, a decadent, arrogant, hyper-individualized, oversex, ultra-materialistic culture. Whether we will suffer a sudden collapse or go through a long, slow, dispiriting decline remains to be seen. But it seems inevitable that God's judgment will come as well as growing opposition to the church. And I know, uh, as Americans... We haven't faced much persecution. Not, not when you look at the persecution of other places, right? Uh, and in fact, for our, our brothers and sisters around the, the globe, um, persecution is just a daily part of their life. They, they are routine, routinely denied means to provide for their family. They are routinely dragged into prison. They are attacked uh, violently. They are even murdered simply because they worship Jesus. 
Now, it's difficult to get an accurate number on these sort of things, but estimates are that over 3,000 men, women, and children are murdered worldwide simply because, like most of you, their faith is in Jesus. Killed, murdered, right? Um, That's more than what died in 9-11, you know. Um, and, And to that... You know, add to that, thousands of Christians are, are, are attacked. Thousands of churches are, are burned or attacked from the outside, right? And many more arrested. And, and all of this, for, for what crime? What is the crime for doing what you're doing right now? Gathering to worship the Lord. Or seeking to tell somebody about Jesus. Worshiping God. In, in this moment in our passage... Jesus is preparing his disciples for persecution that's going to come. And I, I, I believe the most natural outworking of this passage for you and I is, is preparation for persecution as well. That we get a grasp on what it looks like, what we might expect, and how we are to respond to this. And so I'll ask you, I mean, Christian, are you, are you ready for persecution? Are you prepared for it? Do you, do you understand that you will be persecuted? You should expect it. Right? Not just maybe it'll never happen. Second uh, Timothy 3.12 tells us, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And that, that sounds scary. And, and yet listen to the way that Jesus actually presents it in Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? Blessed. What about you? What sort of persecution do you find that you you face because of your faith in Jesus? And I'll throw a few out here. It could be simply a wedge between you and your family or your extended family, particularly if if Christ has called you to faith out of Islam or Judaism or Catholicism or something like that, right? It creates this huge wedge, maybe even just a really strong secular worldview. Persecution could be employment discrimination, Simply because you've expressed a biblical conviction in the, in the office place or online somewhere. It could look like legal persecution, kind of like the cake shop in Colorado you probably have all heard about. It could be simply that someone slanders your name, calling you hateful because you won't affirm their views on sexuality, gender, or other, other ethics. Now, I, I got going down this, this line trying to think, of, you know, what are our modern-day persecutions? And I asked a few brothers in Christ, PCA pastors of mine, where, where's the persecution that we're not thinking about? That we might not immediately recognize just because of the way we, we tend to look at the world. And a few of them actually suggested that it's, it, it's this persecution that comes within the church. Uh, and they explained it like this, how, how quickly a fellow Christian will slander you as, as crazy left-wing liberal if you show compassion or if you offer friendship to someone who is same-sex attracted or if you, you use the requested pronouns of, of someone who is transgendered all in the hope that you're going you're to gain a relationship and have a place from which to share the gospel with them. Things of that. Now, now listen, these are all current persecutions and, and yet the future could, and, and if I'm honest, I readily expect will bring much more substantial persecution into your life. That, that's the expectation. Um, and we've got to be ready. We, we've got to develop the mindset that, that can honestly believe Jesus when in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, you know what, if you are persecuted, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And so then let's consider this, this question, right? The first question that arises, I think, is, is this when you face persecution, is, is why? Why God? 
Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you just allow this to happen to them? They are serving you. They've dedicated their life to you. They're committed to you. Why would you allow this, this persecution to happen to them? And Jesus gives uh, an answer in, in verse 13 of our passage. You see it there. He says that all persecution will be your opportunity to bear witness. Right? It's your opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Um, and, and for these early disciples, these, these words are fulfilled Many, many times, right? Um, Acts 16, Paul and Silas, through the power of uh, a Christ, they set free this demon-possessed uh, slave girl, right? She was being used by these. Anyway, she's she set free, and the owners are like, you've, you've ruined her for us. She's no longer profitable for us. And so they drag them uh, before the Macedonian authorities, arguing this is, this is their argument. It's basically their Christian faith is absolutely incompatible with our cultural values, uh, and, and, and so that we, we must be done with them. And, and after beating Paul and Silas, they are thrown into prison. And then in prison, right, the, the two of them are, are, are there, and you think, well, what would you be doing if this happened to you? Right? I mean, you'd be mad, you'd be angry, how can they do this? I mean, and yet here they are in prison, and they are singing hymns to God, and they are praying out loud, and before the night is over, the guard is asking them, and this is a quote, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's no way they talk to that man apart from this persecution that comes on to them. We, we, we need not be afraid of persecution because it gives us an extraordinary position from which to share the hope of Christ with others. In, in January 9th, 1985, right, I'm six years old and playing Super Mario Brothers at this time, but uh, a pastor by the name of Heristio Kulishevi, something Czech, right, uh, he's arrested in Bulgaria, and his crime was that he preached in his church, even though the government did not certify him, right? The government did not certify him. He preaches, and, and so he, he goes on trial. The trial is an absolute mockery of justice. He was sentenced to eight months into prison. They throw him into prison, uh, right? What do you do in this moment? Did he moan about the injustice of his situation? Witnesses say no, he did not. Did he get angry at God for not protecting him in this situation? No, he did not. Uh, what he did was make Christ known in every way he possibly could. After his release, he said, uh, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had more fruitful ministry in prison than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our, our presence in prison than if we had been set free. Always remembering, right? There's a purpose for this. You know, what's the reason that, that this has happened? I always think of your quote, Christy, your diesel breaks down. You know, what, what's God doing here? Like, you know, I'm sure you looked crazy. This is not a time to be excited to see what God's doing. Anyway, uh, always asking this question, you know, what is, what is God going to do through this? Why, why are we here? Not, not this is some injustice, I shouldn't be here, but, but how are you going to use this, Lord, for your glory, for the, for the, uh, uh, for the kingdom? So, so, Christian, be looking for how you can share the Gospels with others when you face persecution. Or really, even when you face suffering of any sort. Uh, let's use these opportunities to witness to the hope of Christ that, that we offer to others because we have received it freely from Christ. So, not all... Uh, so do not fall into darkness and despair when your faith is under attack. For our, our Lord has told us often that, it is, that that is when the church... It is often at its brightest days. And then in verse 14, right, Jesus says, <clears throat> don't prepare beforehand what you are going to say. Now let me put a little qualifier on this. This is usually really bad advice. 
uh, not to prepare before. And if you have a big exam coming up, uh, right, don't prepare. Just see how it goes. It'll be fine. Uh, right? You're preaching this Sunday. Don't study the passage. Don't research that. Just wing it. It'll go good. Right? This is all terrible, terrible advice. But, but here Jesus is giving a specific promise to his disciples. He's saying, don't worry. I am going to give you a mouth and I am going to give you wisdom. Uh, I will make sure that you are able to speak wisely on my behalf. We see this in Acts 4 when Peter and the others are arrested and dragged before the rulers and, and, and for preaching Christ, right? And, and the next day they are brought in and they're in front of all these people, significant people that have a wide-reaching influence. Um, and they're being told, you know what, defend yourself now. And, and Peter doesn't just go off on you have no right to arrest us or anything like that. Uh, he doesn't remain silent and, and mope there. He, he doesn't fumble with his words. Instead, Jesus gives him a mouth and Jesus gives him wisdom. And Peter stands up and unabashedly preaches the gospel to these people that need to hear it. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's this amazing sermon, and it goes on, and, and then we are told uh, uh, that of the rulers, right? Just a few verses later in Acts, Acts 4.14, we read this. They had nothing to say in opposition. Jesus' words fulfilled completely. God always keeps his promises. What about us? If, if you're like me, my natural response to the fear of persecution or even the hint of persecution is to want to fight. I want legal rights. I want to make sure I can continue to live my Christian life as comfortable as possible without opposition. I want policies to protect me. I, you know, and, and yet here, what, what does Jesus give you? I'll give you a mouth. I'll give you wisdom. Have you ever prayed and asked for that? Lord, would you give me a mouth and a wisdom in this situation? Have you asked for that? You know, so, so say God grants us words and wisdom. Does this mean that, that we're going to be so wise that the persecution is going to stop for us? I don't, I don't think so. I'll tell you why I don't think so, because that's not how it worked for Peter, is it? Right? Also, because look at the way Jesus follows it up in our passage. Look at verse 16, right? This is right after. I'm going to give you the words and the mouth and the wisdom. And then he goes on to say, you will be delivered up. Even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. It's not the best results maybe you're going for there, right? I, I believe that the words and the wisdom that God gives us is, is that we will, it will prevent opponents from arguing you out of your faith. They won't convince you otherwise. The persecution will not work to do what it's designed to do, which is to get you to leave your faith. Your love of Jesus will continue no matter what. That you'll suffer for the name of Jesus, right? That you'll continue to rest in the name of Jesus, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of being martyred even. Now, it's, it's fitting that we're in this passage today, since our culture is celebrating 
uh, St. Valentine's Day, right? It's a Hallmark holiday. Now, <clears throat> there are three stories of, of who St. Valentine's is, where this name comes from. Every single one of them, or all three of them, end in martyrdom. Uh, the most likely is that Valentine was a priest who served during the third century in Rome <clears throat> when Emperor Claudius II decided, you know what, uh, married men are too worried about their children, their family, they're distracted, that sort of thing. Single men make the best soldiers, and so he outlawed marriage so that he, so that he could have better soldiers. Now, Valentine, this priest, realizing the injustice of, of this decree, defied the emperor, goes against them, and he continues to perform marriages for young couples in secret. Uh, well, of course this is going to get out. It's hard to be married and people don't realize that they are, right? Um, and when it's discovered, Claudius had him put to death. And now we give people hearts and cards and candy. Uh, now let's be honest though, our, our government is not likely to put you to death for your Christian faith. Uh, I'm not saying it could never happen, but, but you would, it would be very difficult for that to happen right now. But it is very likely that you could be hated for your Christian beliefs. Um, when the question was asked, what is the greatest temptation the church, the Christian church faces in our generation, the answer that most stood out to me was, was this one, uh, that the, most, the greatest temptation to the church today is to compromise the truth of Scripture to avoid the world's hatred. You hear that? That's the biggest temptation you're going to face as the church, that you are going to compromise the truth of Scripture to avoid the world's hatred Listen, it is okay to be hated for Jesus' sake. Look what our Lord says in verse 7. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. <clears throat> now, I do want you to notice there is a qualifier at the end of that, right? It's of, it's of massive importance if we're going to do this well. It's not just you're going to be hated by all, so just lean into being hated, right? But you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, some professing Christians have managed to be hated by all, not because of the name of Christ, not because of their commitment to Scripture and, and, and righteousness, but because they are obnoxious and they are cruel-hearted. Cruel um, we don't have to go far to, to think of an amazing example of this, right? The infamous Westboro Baptist Church just down I-70 in, in Topeka, they, they have managed to be hated by all and not for the sake of Jesus' name, not because of, of the way they just honor the Lord and their faithfulness. They are hated because they are antagonistic and mean-spirited people. Now, if, if, if people hate you for your commitment to his word and sharing the gospel, praise the Lord. Right? You can, have a, you can be hated by someone for that reason and, and live with an absolute clear conscience. But if, if everyone hates you because you are nothing like Jesus at all, that is not honoring to the Lord. Listen, 1 Peter 4, uh, 14 through 16. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now listen. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So then how are we to respond to persecution when it comes? And that's an important question because we can respond one way that would absolutely negate the opportunity to witness. You could respond in anger, cursing, insults, right, at, at someone. I'm sure you all have some friends somewhere on Facebook who you've watched pretty much do that. Uh, we could respond with depression and, and gloom. We, we could respond by just 
just giving up, right? I'll have no engagement at all with anyone anywhere ever again. Uh, we could respond just by being silent, that we're going to become these, these closet Christians, right? That everyone at work, all your friends ask, you know, is that guy a Christian? I have no idea, right? That could be the way we respond. We, we could respond by uh, apostasy, that, that is abandoning uh, your faith so that you can just fit in with the culture, right? Because no one's going to hate you if you do that. Uh, Romans 12, 14, though, gives us clear instruction for persecution. It says this, bless those who persecute you. Let me say that again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is beginning this new section and, he, and he's saying in verse 1, this is, now, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And he goes through this whole list. And then in verse 12, uh, Paul describes how the, how the apostles have lived this out. And he says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Right? That, that's a hard word to receive, to, to live out, but, but that's the word of our God, right? When, when I am reviled, when I am insulted and slandered and, and ripped apart, and when, when someone is calling me all these things, right, my, my gracious Lord who has saved me and redeemed me calls me to bless them. Are there people that you despise in your heart right now that you need to bless? If so, you, you pray, you ask the Lord, you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to obey the Lord even in this area where it's difficult. Now in the fourth century, <clears throat> Jerome uh, expressed how different we are as Christians when he wrote this, and it's also in your uh, reflection quotes today. The, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others. By enduring outrage, not by inflicting it, Persecutions have made it grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. And that's who we still are, right? We are still the bride of Christ. We are still Christ's church. Therefore, as Donald Whitney says, uh, fasting rather than fleshly efforts should be one of the first defenses against persecution from family, schoolmates, neighbors, or co-workers. Typically, we are tempted to strike back with, with anger, with verbal abuse, with counter-accusations, with legal actions. But instead of political maneuvering, gossiping, and intimi- imi- uh, imitating, or in- imitating, imitating, uh, or sorry, imitating with worldly a- tactics of our enemies, we should appeal to God with fasting for protection and deliverance. And I would add to that that we should appeal to God in these moments that we would have opportunities to proclaim the gospel, asking, you know, God, do the thing that only you can do. Take these enemies of the gospel, take these enemies of us, and turn them into our brothers and sisters in Christ by granting them faith. Now, there are amazing stories of your fellow Christians around the globe that are experiencing uh, God's blessings through persecutions. Uh, one I found particularly encouraging is of uh, Peter Jasek. Uh, that's Peter without an E at the end, right? Uh, this happened just a few years ago. While he was in, uh, visiting Sudan to encourage the underground church, he was falsely accused of, of spying on the church, right? He, people were watching him. They see, all right, he's talking to these people in private. He must be spying on us. And they take him and they throw him into prison. And he ended up in a cell, uh, pretty much the last place on the planet a Christian wants to find themselves, with six members of ISIS. Uh, that's a, a militant, radicalized Islamic group. And, and when they 
learned that he was a Christian, and it went just as you'd expect. They beat him. Uh, they took his food. They, they treated him absolutely horrible. He, he suffered sickness and malnourishment, and, he, and yet he kept trusting the Lord through it all, and he, he prayed for his ISIS tormentors. He, he often told them about who Christ is. He, he spoke that to them. And there was this small revival that actually breaks out in the prison as the Lord brought many in that prison to faith. Right? All through this persecution, what man meant for evil, God used for good. He's in that prison 445 days, and, and through a diplomatic intervention, a.k.a. the providence of God, he was released in 2017. And as I was reading uh, about Peter Jasek, his, his, words, his words that stood out to me most is, is when he said this. He said, Christianity is the only religion that teaches its followers to love their enemies. The only one. You, you know this, right? Jesus, our, our Lord, says in Matthew 5, I, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's not an easy thing to do. It's nothing you can do on your own. You simply cannot conjure up this kind of love for enemy. It is an absolute thing that God must do in us and through us and for us. And so then, uh, in our last two verses here, Jesus says, But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Let's be honest, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, verse 16, right? Some of them, they are, some of you uh, are you're going to be put to death for your faith, right? And, and then just two verses later, uh, but not a hair of your head will perish. That seems odd. How is that going to happen? Is this a, a promise, right? They're going to move your hair when they chop your head off, or, or they're going to use some method that doesn't harm your hair? Uh, of course not. Those are ridiculous explanations. Here, here's what it means. In verse 16, Jesus is speaking about physical death, right? That beating heart in your chest, that, that that's going to stop, that they're going to put you to death. And in verse, verse 18, he is speaking metaphorically of spiritual life. In other words, no spiritual harm will come to you by persecution. None. As Jesus' disciples, as children of the Father, as those who are united to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, we, we have a soul that is so secure that it is not going to be harmed. It cannot be harmed at all. At all. Not, not even a single hair can be harmed. Your, your soul is beyond the reach of any physical harm. It's similar to what we saw earlier in Luke, back in Luke 12, where, where Jesus said, I, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. Christian, don't be afraid of those who can persecute you. Don't be. Finally, Jesus says, by your endurance you will gain your lives. We, we endure keeping the faith no matter what opposition we face. Trusting God, we, we, you know, that will give us wisdom. He will give us wisdom. He will give us words. Trusting uh, that he will give us the grace that we need in the time. Meaning this, you probably don't have the grace from the Lord right now to endure persecution. But if the moment comes, if he puts you through that, you can trust the Lord will provide what you need. Uh, our God is sufficient for us, even in the midst of great persecution. So, so Christian, re remember our Lord has, has gone ahead of us and he has secured for you a place in heaven, a place in eternity that is secure. It is done. Right? Knowing this, it really it gives us confidence and it gives us courage to endure suffering, to proclaim the gospel uh, to others, and to live for Christ even in evil days. 
And again, why? Because you and I have nothing to fear, nothing. Even death is absolutely powerless before the glory of our Savior. Even death, if by the, by the grace of God we preserve to the, persevere to the end, we will be redeemed forever and ever. And, I, and, I, and so I just want to close with the words of comfort that we read earlier in the sermon, uh, service rather, in Romans 8, right? Uh, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this, Romans 8, 35 through 39. And I'm going to read it in its full context here. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So church, let's be prepared for persecution. Let's be prepared for suffering. Let's be prepared for the blessing that comes through that as, as we give opportunity to share the gospel and to see God change hearts and, and be amazed, right? To see God just bring souls to faith and, and, and redeem them for the rest of eternity. And so do not give up. Keep following and resting in the Lord. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you could prevent persecution if you so wished. But you haven't. And so we must believe it serves our good and your good and your glory and even the, great, the, the cause of the Great Commission. Lord, please strengthen our faith for whatever persecution will come our way. We, we certainly don't want it. We're not asking for it, Lord. We'd love to see our nation all come to faith and, and love you, Lord, but prepare us for persecution. Please prepare us to love our enemies and to be good and a godly witness to the hope of the gospel that we ourselves find rest in. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.